chapter 38, chapter 38 of Genesis is where we're going to be at. We're going to read the whole thing because there's a theme that goes through this, and I could pick apart this passage, but I'm not going to this morning because it's one of those where our heroes, they're not very heroic. There's a lot of sin recorded. There is still, though, a double blessing from the Lord at the end of it, even though it seems to me that they kind of choose their own path to get there. And it's difficult to walk away from this story with a feeling of justification and that God won, and yet he does. And this is why I truly want for this people and myself, that is to walk with the Lord in the way that I want to be justified in his sight. And a lot of times that I want to do this all by myself, and I want to do this all with my effort. And this simply just isn't the case. The Lord is our redemption through Jesus Christ, and he has a plan for his people specifically Judah and Tamar in the story. Despite both of their downfalls and shortcomings resulting in sin, God produces an heir in the line of Christ as we look at chapter 38. Last week I mentioned that Judah is the chosen household where the line of Messiah is going to come from. Okay, uh, The two older brothers of Judah, they mess up, and Abraham basically cuts him off the blessing, and it falls to Judah. Okay, so Judah has this on his shoulders where it's kind of like the third in line to be king. He really doesn't think he's going to have that responsibility. It's going to be Reuben, so Reuben's got to have all this responsibility, and now it's on Judah's shoulders. And Judah doesn't, like, I don't know, I, maybe he just doesn't have uh, the umption in his gumption to be God's man. And so he does a, a few things that are questionable. One of them is going to be marrying a Canaanite woman, which would not be acceptable. Uh, the other would not be training his children up in the way they should go. They stray away and they die because of it. And then he lives up in fear that his third son is going to die. And so he disobeys the commandment already. Now, another thing that's interesting is you're going to see some facts that come through here that point to the law. Okay, the law of Moses, which hasn't been uh, discovered in, or invented. God hasn't drawn it up yet. Okay, and so th- you're going to see that there is some semblance of that before they went into Egypt. That they had some structure given by the God that they understood, and there's an expectation that the older son, when he dies, that the next brother is going to. Uh, create an heir for his brother and things like that. That's not written down anywhere until we get to Deuteronomy, but that is the expectation here. And there's uh, one other one. I can't think of it right hand, but when it gets there, I'll holler it out, okay? That's also in the law that that's not here. So let's get into it. About this time, Judah left his home and moved with Adullam, where he stayed with a man named um, Hira, There he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. When he slept with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and named the boy Ur. What should we name him? Uh, Okay, sounds good. (laughs) Right? That's what I think every time I read that. So she became pregnant 
and gave birth to another son and named him Onan. And uh, there she was very specific. What do, I got it. I got it. We got it picked out. That's where name picking out came. Onan is a good name. Er, nah, not so much. Uh, when she gave birth to a third son, she named him Sheila. And the, at the time of Sheila's birthday, lived in Kazib. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. After Ur was a, but Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. But Onan was not willing to have children, a child with a child who, he was, who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. This prevented her from having children and who would belong to his brother. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until your son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Sheila would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home, which is not kosher, by the way. He should have kept her until um, she was, until Sheila was old enough. So Tamar went back to live in his father's home. Some years later, Judah's wife died, and after the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hira the Dulamite went up to the Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear sheep. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up but had no arrangements had been made for him to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothes and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat beside the road at the entrance in the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she was covered, had covered her face. He, so he stopped and propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing she was his own daughter-in-law. How will you pay to have sex with me, Tamar asked. I will send you a goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you're sending the goat, she said. What kind of guarantee do you want, he replied. Now listen to this answer says, leave me your identification seal, its cord, and the walking stick you are carrying, okay? The identification seal and the cord, those would represent um, his position as the heir of Judah, and the would be his prayer um, cord that, that goes on, okay? So it's not only, it's his, his position and his religion or should be his relationship with the Lord, right? He gives them up willingly. He should not have done that. So Judah gives them to her and then has intercourse with her and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went back home and took off her veil and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Later, Judah asked his friend Hira the Dulmite to take the young goat to the woman and pick up the things he had given her as his guarantee, but Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, what can I find, where can I find the shrine prostitute who was sitting beside the road at the entrance of Enam? 
We've never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hira returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claimed they never had a shrine prostitute there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughing stock of the village, and we went back if we went back again to look for her. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute, and now because that she is and now because of this she is pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father in law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately and said, She is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. When that time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand. The midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing this one came out first. But when he pulled back his hand out and out came his brother. Wait, said the, or what? Said the midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? So his name was Perez. When the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, his name was Zariah. All right. And so that is the word of the Lord read this morning. A lot of shifty things going on there. So now that Jacob and his sons have peace on every side, as we read last week, we see a lackadaisical effort in holiness from his family. First, we see Joseph in a tight spot with his brothers, and now we see Judah, the heir for the Messiah, making some unwise choices. Judah moves away from his family, and then he marries a Canaanite woman. They have a son named Ur, and Ur is wicked, and God uh, takes his life. And then we have a brother who wasn't much better, and God sees that his plan is in danger, and he takes the life of that man as well. And because God has a plan for his chosen line, right? He has somebody in mind that's going to... Um, be in the line of the Messiah. It's gonna, it has to be Judah. And apparently, he's pretty particular about Tamar as well, right? Because think about how this all transpires. And if you've ever looked at the genealogies in um, Matthew chapter 1, it might be chapter 2, but I'm pretty sure it's chapter 1, um, they list Tamar in the, the genealogies. It puts the two twins in there and says whose mother were, was Tamar. Which I think is interesting, because why would you put that? She's a Canaanite, for one. And two, um, it doesn't make any sense because she's the woman in the air, and they usually don't list those. But in Matthew, you see three women listed in those airs. So that's interesting as well. So how many times has God stepped into our lives and intervened with his grace to set our path back on track? We need to praise God for his relentless love, right? When we get off track and he brings us back on, man's path, man's path does not look good here, right? 
Judah is kind of doing his own thing. Why is this story in here? It's in, it doesn't even make sense that chapter 38's in here because if you look at 37 and 39, we're talking about Joseph. But the significance of this is that the heir for the Messiah is about to go his own way and God brings him back. God has a plan. God has a master plan and that master plan is always going to come to fruition. It's always going to come to being. So if God wants that plan to happen, it's going to happen. Now, are you going to be a part of that plan or is somebody else? Because in this story, you see that God's got somebody lined up to take the place of somebody who falls short, right? I always think about if I fell short and I am no longer the pastor at White Rose Fellowship Church, God's got somebody to come in and take my place. Because it's not about me. It's about his plan. It's about his plan for this community and what he has for each one of us. And so I cannot ever think of myself too big. And the same is with you. If God has a plan for you in to minister to your family and you do not step up, God will remove you and have somebody else step up in your family. And sometimes you're like, man, I wish he would remove me. Sheesh, right? Uh, there's, it, God didn't say it was going to be easy, did he? He did not say you have a life of, what's that? Yeah, sometimes that, uh, God removes them that way, doesn't he? He does in this story. Now, this is a hard story. This is one of those, like I said at the beginning, it's, hard. it's one of those stories I'd like to skip. A lot of preachers do, because it's hard to explain. But the, the point is, is that there's a bigger plan out there besides us, right? We want to look at the master plan and not Shane's plan. We want to look at the master plan and not man's plan. So man's plan, it looks, a lot of times man's plan looks too good to be true, right? If you look at man's plan, and it is like a sales pitch. It's like, oh, you can have everything, you know? You get the, it's like a timeshare. You ever got, anybody got pitched on a timeshare before? That is like man's plan 101 right there. Uh, well, first, you don't have to do any of the maintenance. You got this, you have this. And I can see all the smiles out there because I've seen all the pitches that have gone through there and you're just like, well, it was worth it for that free vacation or whatnot, right? And sometimes it is. But you got to hold firm because, man, it sounds like all that in a bag. I should just live here. I should quit my job and just, I don't know how I'd pay for it, but this guy's got to figure it out. I'll just listen to him. And this is amazing, right? So Judah, he's got his wife. He has three boys. Life is going good. He's got a good friend. He's hanging out. Everybody's going well until it doesn't. Judah is walking the line, right? He is on the fence with his faith and he's just doing his own thing. What happens to his boy, Er? Does his boy learn how to walk the fence? No, he, wa- he learns how to jump all the way over, doesn't he? You see that? That's a caution to us parents, for one. As we go through life and you are walking the fence, your kid's not going to be attracted to fence walking, it's going to be attracted to jumping all the way over to the other side, right? And jumping right out into the thing. 
And Onan, he may not have been as bad as Ur, but he chooses not to give his his brother an heir. Whether he did, he hated his brother. I don't. We don't know why. He just didn't want to take care of his brother's responsibility, and so he wasn't going to do that. Maybe he wanted wanted Ur to be left out of there. I don't know. And while we walk away from our faith, we do it in a way that looks good, but it's dead inside, right? Judah looks good. He's got the right things. He's saying the right things. He's doing, going through the motions, but it's not. And who do we see going, doing that in the New Testament? Going through the motions, doing the right things, saying all the prayers, getting all the scriptures, but they're dead inside. Yeah, the Pharisees. And Jesus, Jesus calls them out in Matthew chapter 23. He gives them seven woes. And they must have been on quite the horse because they're going fast. And he's like, whoa, whoa, just kidding. That was a joke. Uh, different kind of woe, right? It's a woe like you're going to hell, woe. And so woe is you, caution, turn around, go the other way. Uh, it says, what sorrow waits for you, that's the new, that's the new living translations, um, woe, what sorrow waits for you. Teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look righteous, like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness, right? So on the outside, they're doing all the right things. They're going through all the right motions. But on the inside, they are dead and drifting, lawless, corrupt people, right? The next one. So you have a one that presents himself on the outside is dead on the inside. The next one is kind of the opposite of that. It's just apathetic. Like, I, I'm doing all the right things, but I'm just going to go through the motions again. And many times when we get apathetic in our faith, we know what's right and wrong, but we just choose to do the wrong. And we know it's very close to, if not sin, but we're not really concerned with the consequences of going the wrong way. You know, eh, what harm could it do? I'll just, I just did a little bit. It was just one night. It was just one uh, shot. It was just one whatever it may be. I can, I can hold my alcohol. It was just that one time. Well, what did Tamar find out? It only needs once to get pregnant, for one, in this story, right? So we know that they are, there are consequences because we read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, it says, I was talking about the lukewarm, but since you are like the lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of your, my mouth. Christ either wants you on fire for the Lord, or he wants you cold. Hot or cold? Why? Why does God not want apathetic faith? Because if you're on fire for the Lord, if you're on fire for the Lord, you're going to see that God has a plan for you. You're going to walk with him. You're going to see God's going to show up, right? 
when you are cold for the Lord, there's a chance that you will call out for him because you know that he's the one that can save you. But when you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, you're not pressing into him, you're not pushing out, you are reliant on yourself and self-governing relationship with the Lord is, is the worst you could probably have because you become your own God, right? And so salvation comes from within and that is apathetic. And I would say just plain pathetic, right? So we need to take God's commands seriously and have an active faith. Judah, Ur, Onan, they had a responsibility to create an heir in the messianic line of the house of Abraham, and they were going about it the wrong way, or they weren't going about it at all. They were standing in fear, and it just wasn't getting there. Um, And so instead of pressing into it in prayer and going to the Lord, they just pressed into it with apathy and didn't do anything. Third is self-righteous standing. I didn't need what God had to offer. I can get to heaven. And if I go this way too, it's like the men in the story, right? The men in the story, they are like, oh, well, I, can just, I can handle it. I can handle it. I got this together, you know? And it sounds good. It sounds like this. It's not, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I got, I got this. I know I'm not going like on fire for the Lord, but I still got time. I still have time. There's plenty of time. But we're not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? I can't, I can get back to this point in my faith anytime. I'll just get back active in youth group or church and things. I'll be fine. I don't know why my voice is getting tired. I'll be fine. Friends reference there. It's no really big deal. I don't know why you're so upset. We've all given these justifications. And Romans chapter 10, verse 3 says, For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. Right? So they want to follow the rules of the law, but they want to interpret the law through themselves. That's self-righteous living, right? I'm not really that bad of a person. I'm not a bad person. That's self-righteous living right there. You ever tell yourself that? I'm not a bad person. Self-righteous. It means you're depending on yourself to get to heaven, right? That's what self-righteous means. Um, I'm not that bad. That's a self-righteous thought, okay? Because we are bad, Withdrawing from Christian community. I think this one's our two-year-old self coming out. I can do it all by myself. How are you going to get to heaven? I can do it all by myself. Right? It kind of goes along with self-righteous living. But um, a lot of times when that comes, it's it's the next step. And we withdraw from Christian community. We think we can do it all 
our own way, and then when we try, and soon we wander, and then we wonder, how did I get here? How did I end up here? Where did I go wrong? And I will say the first step in many of those long way down is walking away from Christian community. It is important. How do you know it's important? You got somebody that goes to church all your life. How do you know it's important? I don't know because of that I've stayed in Christian community, though that is a good answer. You know how I know the best? So I watch those who walk away from the Lord when they get out of Christian community, right? How, how fast did they go? I remember the first week when I moved into the dorms down at Western to school, the first week I got there, I'm like, man, I got to find a church. I got to find some place to go, uh, a Bible study. I need something to get me through because um, if I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to keep this level of where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. And I got to the second week, and I got, I remember the first time I was like, I don't really need Bible study, do I? And I was like, I don't care. I ran this girl down the hallway, and I was like, you going to Bible study um, tomorrow night? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, I'm going with you. And she's like, like, I just freaked her out. I, I was a little intense, apparently. I was like, what I meant to say can I go with you? Can you tell me where it's at? Because obviously we're not walking across the lawn to this Bible study anymore because I just freaked her out that I'm stalking her or something. Um, so it ended up, we, we get there and uh, she was pretty cool and I was pretty cool about it after that, but uh, she realized that I wasn't a creeper. And um, that's where I, for two years at Western, that's where I was. I was at Campus Students for Christ and it helped me develop um, a foundation to be able to stand um, in a, a non-Christian dorm and to uh, be Christ-like to those people. So that's what I did. And that was right when all the good stuff coming down from the pipe for the LGBT community was coming in too. And I just said, I trust God's word, right? I trust, and at that time they did too. And so it's like, you can't go against it. It says it's wrong. That's what I've done ever since in a nice, loving, compassionate way, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 16 says, Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, what would it make? Would it be any less part of the body? I read that because we are all part of Christ's body. I had my, my guy that I would, at Campus Students for Christ, his name was Charles Ferguson. He would say, everybody is a somebody in Christ's body. Everybody is a somebody in Christ's body. And I love that. And that's the community that I strive for every time when we get together at White Rose. Everybody is a somebody here. There's nobody that's less. There's nobody that's more. Everybody's a somebody in Christ's body, right? We are all on the equal playing field. So that's why we can rejoice with those who rejoice. That's why we can mourn with those who mourn because everybody is a somebody in Christ's body. Changing patterns. The last one. How do you know you have a problem with gluttony? 
What is gluttony? How would you define it? I think um, J.D. Rockefeller probably defined it the best when they asked, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. That's the definition of gluttony. So you can't, how much is enough today at the potluck? Just a little bit more, right? How much is enough um, cash or treasure for our heart? Just a little bit more. Yeah, that would be. Or when you're, you should be content with what you have been given, right? right. Yeah, and that's the, the correct thing, right? So just a little bit more. Instead, remember in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 7, it says, don't, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. Content, right? For God has said, I will never fail you. I will, I will never abandon you. So we can... Say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. We need to be content with what we have. Look to other Christians who model a pattern that reflect Christ. That's one reason why we have Christian community. We can look to others. How do you do that? I know Jesus tells us to be content, but how do you do that? Look at somebody that doesn't have much. Or maybe they have a lot, but it doesn't look like they have a lot. That's another good person that models how to be content, right? And follow them as they follow Jesus, right? Model, and then we can model Christ to others. Once we understand it, then we can model it to others. I used to struggle with this. I still struggle with being content. I think we all do. I, I have a, a wanderlust, right? I want, I want the next thing, and I always go to guitars. I want the next guitar. You know, we were talking about guitars today, right? And it's the, the next thing. So you know what I did to help me combat that wanderlust for guitars is I'm going to build a guitar today. So now it's the, not today, right, right in front of your very eyes. That's right. No, I'm, I am working on getting the tools and things to build an acoustic guitar because I'm not going to be satisfied with the next one I get. And so why go out and spend thousands of dollars on the next guitar that I want? Well, it, it won't satisfy me. It's going to wear out. So I am going to ha- acquire the skills to build my own guitar because it's not going to be good enough, right? And then I'll build the next one and the next one, and I figure by about three I can start building my guitar, right? Um, and it'll be good enough. So that's just one way that I can be content and I can challenge myself in that lack of contentment, right? Now I've challenged my skills and I've challenged my abilities as an artist, not only am I, and that helps satisfy that wanderlust for the guitar. So one of these days, one of these days, I'll be playing my own acoustic guitar up here. Redemption. The then Jesus moment. Redemption, anytime you see a woman in pretty much not all the time. You can't say that every time. But many times when you see uh, a woman come into the Hebrew line of the story, because we're going to have 
Uh, Potiphar's wife, pretty soon. She's not, she's not a model of that. She's a false prophet, maybe. Um, but Tamar comes in to the story, and she represents redemption, right? Now, it's interesting because her method of redemption is not really what I would call biblical, right? However, she is a woman who is desperate to fulfill her um, line to make the heir, right? She's, she wants to, she's supposed to be a mom. She, her identity is in the mom. Her, um, I won't say salvation, but her, it, ultimately in her salvation, it, it will be because Christ, she'll be in the line of Christ, right? But she is a widow, right? If she doesn't have any kids, who's going to take care of her? She's always going to be dependent on her father's family, her brothers, um, unless she has a son. And God gives her two at the end of this story. And so you know the path that she takes, even though it's a little bit crooked, is the correct one. Okay? That's as best as I can do to explain that. And does God use people? Yes, he does. Does he sometimes use people that are in sin? Apparently, he can, because he does here. Right? But who's in sin more? It was Judah. Judah was in, I, I'm the one that he confesses that he was a sinner more. And I think it gets a wake-up call for him. So when, think about the circumstances that we have. How many times has God stepped into our lives and intervened with his grace to set our path back onto his? We praise God for his relentless love. Where do we praise God? What about when we're, we're at work and you've had a bad day? God knows and he will walk with you through that. What about when your marriage is on the rock? God knows, and he directs our paths back to him. When we are going through any kinds of trials and tribulations of many kinds, God knows, and he's picking us up to carry the burden. And when we feel like we can't go on, God knows, and he will be our source for rest and energy. Again, I ask, how many times has God stepped into our lives and intervened with his grace, to set our paths back onto his. Praise God for that. Praise God in this situation afterwards, okay? Yeah, afterwards. Uh, God's path. God's path. Often God's path is not the one we have foreseen. Okay, let me say that again. God's path is often not the one we have foreseen. We have this idea of how we're going to get to heaven, how life is going to get, work out, how it's going to go. And God says, nah, I got, a, I got an app for that. We're, gonna, we're not going to do that. Matter of fact, I don't have just an app. I have the whole operating system that I'm going to reinstall in you and change you forever. It might be a bumpier than what we feel it should. It might not run quite as smoothly as we want it to. It might have some pain and heartache along the way. But this we do know, that our God is faithful. He never changes. He is always consistent, watching over us. He will direct our path if we follow these simple steps that we find through Psalm chapter 32, which was our call to worship this morning. An honest self-assessment 
is a wonderful way to get to God's path. Psalms chapter 32, verses 1 and 2 says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, those who, whose sin is, is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record, whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. You see this when Judah confesses, I have committed the bigger sin. That's when God starts to work in Judah's life. Repentance requires honesty. Judah never sleeps with Tamar again. He starts walking the narrow road again. And we recognize this need for repentance. We stop covering up our sins through self-righteousness and justification and self-justification. And we embrace our burdens and we take them before the Lord and we throw them at the foot of the cross. There is deep and lasting change that comes through repentance. Deep and lasting change. Number two, according to acknowledge the destruction of sin, verses three and four of Psalm 32 says, when I, when I refuse to confess my sin, okay, listen to this. This is really interesting. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. Have you ever been in that situation before? I am, I got... I don't care. I don't care that I was wrong. I don't care what I've done was wrong. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I know mom and dad said not to do this. I know so-and-so said not to go this way, but I'm going to do it anyway. That eats away at us, right? And, I, and David says, I groaned all day long. Night and day, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. When did David write Psalm 32? He wrote Psalm 32. They believe he wrote it the same time he wrote Psalm 51. When he wrote Psalm 51 is when he was caught after he got killed Uriah the Hittite and took Bathsheba to be his lawfully weathered wife. And I wouldn't say very lawfully, but uh, his wedded wife. And he confessed to the Lord. He said, before I confessed to the Lord, I was withering. I was half the man that I used to be. It was eating him up inside. We face repentance due to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to acknowledge the sin, confess, and keep moving forward to make things right. Number three, confess fully. Verse five, finally, I confess all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Is there consequences that are left over still? Yeah. We still have two kids in this, in this story. David had a kid that died because of his sin, right? In his story. Do you want true repentance from the Lord? It requires full confession. Not just halfway, not a part way. Total transparency before the Lord. Get in there, clean the house, and keep it clean, right? It's um, when you confess your sin and you turn 180 degrees from that sin, it's no longer going to bring the pleasure that it once did before you. Number four, shelter in the Lord. Six and seven, therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time that they may not drown in the floodwaters 
of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. God was, is that hiding place for each one of us and was for Tamar. Judah was inadequate. He didn't add up. He wasn't following the, word, the Lord. Ur and Onan, they also fall, fall short. And even Tamar has to pursue the Lord in his faithful repentance for her, her actions as well, right? But God is faithful. God will help us and return us to his ways. Folks, saying I'm sorry isn't enough. When you confess and you say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, got your hand caught in the cookie jar again. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I just tell you? Miss Judy, what, or Miss Debbie, what did I just tell you there, right there? I got caught, didn't I? Hand caught in the cookie jar. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. I didn't say I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it again. I didn't say I understand how much that affects you. No, I said I got caught. I'm sorry, right? That might be okay for grandma. That's not okay for, that is not okay for the Lord, right? When we get our hand caught in the cookie jar, God's heart breaks at that disobedience. He says, don't you see what you're doing? Don't you understand that that sin is stacking up on my son? Don't you understand that there's repentance that needs to come in here. Because if you don't repent now, you're going to come back and you're going to steal something more and more and more. It's going to be easier and easier. And my spirit is going to get softer and softer and softer. Right? That's what the Lord has for us. The Lord wants us to turn to him in repentance Instead of saying you're sorry, it's seeing that action, asking, I understand what I did was wrong. I understand that what I did hurt you because I didn't submit to your authority. I didn't ask in the first place, will you forgive me? What I just did there is I handed authority back to Debbie and said, you are in charge of this particular situation. Now, I've done my part in asking for forgiveness there, haven't I? Now I need to know, what can I do to make it right? She might just say, oh, just don't do it again, and we might be good. She might say, now I have to smash that cookie jar pot because you got your germs all over it, and that was set aside for this special blah, 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 and you have to get me a new cookie jar, right? That's what I need to do to make it right. This has to be an antique cookie jar that's worth $3 million. So you're my indentured servant for life. Oh, dang it. Right? So we also need to look before we leap. Just because we think it's simple and something that's not of value, it might be worth, it's priceless to the Lord, isn't it? Put the value on it that is deserved. Meditate on a changed lifestyle. That's another thing we can do to make it look right. What can I do? What are some of the things that I can do to change that will allow me to get back to this? We need to seek his wisdom. Finally, we need to listen and obey. Verses 8 through 10, it says, The Lord says, I will guide you along 
the best path for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like the senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. God has not quit on us, folks. He never, ever quits on us. Even when we are going through times of sin, he is right there saying, here's the way. Walk in it. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Get back up. But I've fallen. Get back up. I've sent you a partner to help you along the way. Get back up. We're both falling down. A quarter three is hard to break. You need your Christian community. Get back up. Keep moving forward. Keep walking out of the muck. Keep getting out of the mire. How fast do we walk out of quicksand? You ever get sucked into anything up to your waist? Water's not the best example, but um, mud. You ever get your boot stuck in mud and you try to pull it out? That vacuum holding it in there is like... All right, that's going to be fun on the record. Right? Wow. God says, keep moving forward. Baby steps. When I was a kid, and I was close with this story, we went out to my neighbor's field with the neighbor kid down the way. And he had this patch of clay, and we didn't have a ton of clay at our, it was mostly sand, right? And there was a patch probably from me to the wall that we took, probably a tire track about this wide, and we took our boots and we mixed it. And we mixed that mud all the way down. And it was, there was, I didn't know what it was, but it was a hard pan down there. So they, they tilled about that deep. And after that, it was like cement on, under there. So what did we just do? We took all that stuff that was nice and fluffy and we just compacted it down about like that into this mud. And I'm like, huh, it keeps getting smaller. This is amazing. Well, good thing I only learned from this. That corn never grew there ever again. It was like, concrete because we were hanging out in the muck right and when we went to walk out so we could walk in the muck like this all the way through and we could come around because we went baby steps where we kept moving forward right but as soon as we went to step out to get out of that place we were at we were stuck and we were stuck big time our boots were probably going to stay there right it's like, how do I get this out? So we had to learn how to, you know, you, you point your toe and you pull it out and you get it out. I was able to get mine out. My brother was able to get his out. And the neighbor kid could not get his out. He had, he had two big boots on. He couldn't get, his, he couldn't get them out. We're going to get in trouble now because they're going to know who did this and what we were doing. Dude, you got to get those out, right? What happened? We weren't sorry for what we did. We were, I'm sorry, we got caught, right? Life is like that. Admit where you're at. Be honest with where you're at and say, hey, I screwed up. I need your help to get me back on path. Let's go. God will say, awesome, let's keep moving forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that you are an awesome God who loves us, who cares for us, who watches over us. 
Lord Jesus, when we fall away from you, we pray that you would open up our eyes and reveal to us where we can get back on track. Reveal to us where you have your loving kindness and uh, you can show us self-control. Lord, we thank you for those that you've given us to walk the path with. Lord, as we go downstairs today, we ask that you would bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, bless the fellowship to our souls, and Lord, we ask that you would watch over us this week, guide and direct us, lead us and protect us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.